Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are truly looking into the mirror as we come face to face with a needed shift in perspective, nurturing our body to build a loving partnership. Do you treat yourself with the same kindness and understanding that you would a loved one? We can all shake our heads, yes, but let's be honest. What you think about yourself in the privacy of your own mind, would you ever say it out loud to a friend? We often compare ourselves to others, especially in the age of social media where idolized images are prevalent. This can lead to feelings of inadequacy and self-criticism. Negative experiences such as bullying or criticism can contribute to low self-esteem and a negative body image. These experiences can linger and influence how we see ourselves. Enough is enough. You were assigned this body for better or worse. Depending on your beliefs, your soul may live forever, but this body has an expiration date. It's time to appreciate your body for all it does for you. Focus on its strengths and abilities rather than perceived flaws to create a true partnership. This topic has surfaced for me recently as I've been dealing with my own health and the breakdown of my body. My husband told me that he listens to his body, is in tune, and in fact has created a partnership with his body. One body and mind, literally. This was kind of a revelation for me since it shifted my perspective. I hadn't considered this kind of closeness or camaraderie with my own body before. Oh sure, it has served me well over the years, but it has also provided a few disappointments, some valid and some not. Let's start with the positive. I've had three beautiful children. I wasn't able to have natural childbirth, but we completed the job all the same. I was a dancer for many years and at one point taught aerobics, managed a gym, and was a personal trainer. Okay, now some of the disappointments. Unlike Stretch Armstrong, my body didn't always bounce back like elastic, but instead was left with a few unsightly scars. The vertebrae in my back proved to be rather weak and for some reason didn't stand up to a desk job tied to a computer. Oh, and age. Well, let's not even go there right now. The point is that I need a new attitude and a stronger and healthier relationship with my body. And guess what? A shift in perspective is the fastest way to get it. So hang in there. Let's get to work. Setting the stage for this discussion, I found some interesting facts on the Mount Hood CC website about body image. Megan Jane Crabb said, Hating our bodies is something we learn, and it sure as hell is something we can unlearn. Have you ever listened to a little kid talk about their body? They're amazed by everything it does and would never think about listing all the things that are wrong with it or hate it. The human body is a wondrous machine that can do amazing things. It houses the brain, allows us to run, jump, climb, compete, explore, build, or play. In addition, the female body has the unique ability to grow and nourish new life. 
Yet 85% of college females report that they believe they are either slightly or seriously overweight, when the actual number of those with higher than healthy body composition is somewhere around 20%. Body dissatisfaction is associated with excessive dieting, disordered eating, increased depression, and low self-esteem. One of the greatest difficulties we have as a society is achieving and maintaining a healthy body image. Body image is how you see yourself when you look in the mirror or when you picture yourself in your mind. It encompasses what you believe about your own appearance, including memories, assumptions, and generalization. How you feel about your body, including your height, shape, and weight. How you sense and control your body as you move. How you feel in your body, not just about your body. Here are some examples of negative and positive body image. Let's get the negative out of the way. A distorted perception of your shape. You perceive parts of your body unlike they really are. You're convinced that only other people are attractive and that your body size or shape is a sign of personal failure. You feel ashamed, self-conscious, and anxious about your body. You feel uncomfortable and awkward in your body. Let's turn the tide to a positive body image, a clear, true perception of your shape. You see the various parts of your body as they really are. You celebrate and appreciate your natural body shape, and you understand that a person's physical appearance says very little about their character and value as a person. You feel proud and accepting of your unique body and refuse to spend an unreasonable amount of time worrying about food, weight, and calories. You feel comfortable and confident in your body. Sounds amazing. How many of us are there? What sets the criteria for the ideal body? Femininity or masculinity? Ability to perform manual labor or likelihood of easily birthing babies. Body ideals vary significantly depending on gender, area of the world, and time in history. High body image satisfaction is strongly influenced by anthropometric measurements. However, not all bodies have the potential to meet measurements that society deems ideal. Human bodies can be classified into three different body types, endomorph, ectomorph, and mesomorph. These three types are genetically predetermined and provide a framework for overall body size, ease of body fat storage, and muscle build. So, if we understand that children usually have a positive body image, we need to look at what causes or influences might be at work to affect this initial positive state. Think back to your own childhood. Do you remember your parents talking about the strength and health of their own bodies? Or rather, the need to lose some weight and the attributes they disliked? Did you receive pressure from your family members to cut your hair a certain way, dress in certain clothes, or lose a few pounds? maybe even under the guise of concern for your health and well-being. Peers, parents, family, and media 
certainly influence our view of ourselves and what we should be as well. People with negative body image have a greater likelihood of developing an eating disorder and are more likely to suffer from feelings of depression, isolation, low self-esteem, and obsessions with weight loss. Anorexia nervosa, or anorexia, is a type of eating disorder that mainly affects adolescent girls and young women, but can also affect men. A person with this disease has an intense fear of gaining weight and severely limits food intake. They may also have a low body weight, refuse to keep a normal body weight, be extremely afraid of becoming fat, believe that they are fat even though they're very thin. Women may miss three menstrual periods in a row. Anorexia affects your health because it can damage many parts of your body. A person with anorexia will have many signs like loss of a lot of weight, talks about weight and food all the time, moves food around the plate and doesn't eat, weighs food and counts calories, follows a strict diet, won't eat in front of others, ignores or denies that they're hungry, uses extreme measure to lose weight like inducing vomiting, laxative abuse, diuretic abuse, diet pills, fasting, excessive exercise, thinks they're fat when they are way too thin, gets sick a lot, weighs several times a day, feels depressed or irritable, doesn't socialize, wears baggy clothes to hide appearance. A healthcare team of doctors, nutritionists, and therapists will help the patient get better by helping them to bring back a normal body weight, treat any psychological issues related to anorexia, and help the person get rid of any actions or thoughts that cause this type of eating disorder. You might have heard of bulimia nervosa or bulimia. It's a type of eating disorder. Someone with bulimia eats a lot of food in a short amount of time, what they call binging, and then tries to get rid of the calories by purging. Purging might be done in a few ways, making yourself throw up, taking laxatives, either pills or liquids that increase how fast food moves through the body and leads to quicker bowel movements. A person with bulimia may also use these ways to prevent weight gain, exercising a lot more than normal, restricting their eating to not eating at all, like going without food for days, taking diuretics, pills that make you urinate. Bulimia is more than just a problem with food. It's a way of using food to feel in control of other feelings that may seem overwhelming. Purging and other behaviors to prevent weight gain are ways for people with bulimia to feel more in control of their lives and to ease stress and anxiety. Unlike anorexia, when people are severely underweight, people with bulimia may be underweight, overweight, or have normal weight. This makes it harder to know if someone has this disease. However, someone with bulimia may have these signs. Thinks about food a lot. Binges, normally in secret. Throws up after binging. Uses laxative, diet pills, or diuretics to control their weight. Is depressed, unhappy, or thinks a lot about their body shape and weight. 
eats large amounts of food quickly, goes to the bathroom all the time after they eat, exercises a lot, even during bad weather, fatigue, illness, or injury, unusual swelling of the cheeks or jaw area, cuts and calluses on the back of their hands and knuckles from making themselves throw up, white enamel of teeth wears away, making teeth look clear, doesn't see friends or participate in activities as much, has rules about food as good foods and bad foods. Some research suggests that the use of medicines such as antidepressants, antipsychotics, and mood stabilizers may work for those living with anorexia and bulimia. It is thought that these medicines help the mood and anxiety symptoms that often coexist with disordered eating. Psychotherapy, sometimes known as talk therapy, can also help in the treatment of eating disorders. It uses different ways of communicating to change a patient's thoughts or behaviors. When pressure to look, act, and be a certain way is all around us, and in us as well, the ability to maintain emotional and physical wellness and balance is tough. The key? Remembering that you and your body are on the same team. We all may have our days when we feel awkward or uncomfortable in our bodies, but the key to developing positive body image is to recognize and respect our natural shape and learn to overcome negative thoughts and feelings with positive, affirming, and accepting ones. Seek guidance in living with disordered eating dysphoria and dysmorphia. For more information, you can visit the website for the National Eating Disorder Association. Their message is simple. Accept yourself. Accept your body. Okay, think about your relationship with your own body. How would you describe it? Now, I'm not asking you to describe your body. I'm asking you to describe your relationship with your body. Is it healthy and full of love? Think about that. Let's be honest. Are you kind and nurturing and loaded with patience with this partnership? How about indifferent? You never really thought about it before. You know, it's there. It does a job. You don't really dwell on it. What about a love-hate relationship? Disappointed with shame and regret. Now, let's question Where did those thoughts come from? Now, I'm not blaming my mother, but just as we learned, a lot of those behaviors do come from things that we sponge up as a child. So, to a degree, it was something that was passed down. And boy, it is so easy to pass those feelings down. For me, looking back at it now, having gone through it, my mom was just trying to get in shape. She was dieting all the time, walking, staying active. But when you really look deeper, you could see that she was never truly comfortable in her own skin. And now as an adult and looking back and talking with my mom about it, I find out that her mom did the same thing to her. Now, my grandmother didn't have any sort of weight problem and always wanted the best for my mom. But it was those constant little things about 
needing to eat healthier and not wanting to get too big and our, how are you going to fit in that dress? And so it was that constant look at yourself and judge yourself. Now, with my own children, I can see how I easily pass that down too because like my mother, I was always dieting, always uncomfortable in my own skin, always making critical remarks about myself. My middle daughter is really tall. She was tall from the get-go. At age two, based on height and weight, she was already able to get out of a car seat. Of course, I didn't do that, but she actually qualified to get out of a car seat. Now, when you're dealing with a tall child, a big child, right, those types of words are not the right descriptors. Now, I didn't know that. So I have used the word big as a child, huge even. And then one day as she's getting older, she's getting to more of the puberty years, she was dieting. And I asked her, why on earth are you dieting? And she said, because I'm so huge. Right. Bad mommy moment. So it's about shifting our narrative with kinder words. Now, not necessarily just to the people that we're talking to. We definitely need to be mindful there, but also to ourselves. And listen, you don't have to say the words out loud. Your mind speaks volumes when it's just talking to itself. Maybe you aren't at your goal yet. Instead of shaming yourself, note your progress. Talk about how you're working things out. You're making changes in your life. You're finally taking care of yourself. That doesn't happen overnight. Let's give our body a break. Your body is trying its hardest to protect you. Heal your hurts, provide warmth, help you rest, and motivate you. What can you say to break the ice and change the relationship with your own body? Martha Coppy shares how to make lifestyle changes from a body-positive perspective. Hating yourself into change is a surefire way to lose ground, found at psychologytoday.com. Are you worried that being kind and forgiving towards your body will take away your motivation to make lifestyle changes for your health? Martha said, I am a proudly body-positive therapist. I refuse any suggestion that one kind of body is better than another because of size, appearance, age, ability, race, or any other one of the million beautiful varieties of humanity. As a therapist, I'm also all about supporting self-motivated change processes. That means that I believe in you and in your ability to make choices about your lifestyle that will make you feel fabulous, no matter what that happens to look like for you. You get to craft the mood of living that makes you feel best, and my role is to help you overcome the blocks that stand in your way. Martha said, one huge block I see all the time with my clients is body shame. All too often, we try to draw our motivation for lifestyle changes from a deep well of judgment and self-hatred. It might feel like being harsh and critical towards ourselves will push us to work harder. But in fact, 
Engaging in self-hatred is a surefire way to get stuck in a wrestling match with yourself. I've noticed this pattern time and time again. When motivation comes from shame, it's just about impossible to stick with any change. It's perfectly normal for a new habit to take some time to adopt, but when people come to a new habit with a shame-based perspective, they'll beat themselves up for completely acceptable backslides. Self-hatred is not a good motivator for positive change, nor is shame or disgust. You can't punish yourself into a healthier relationship with your body. I truly believe if you want to make healthful changes in your life, the only way is to love yourself into it. But how? Thanks to negative messages we all receive from our culture, self-hatred tends to come a lot easier than love. I know how challenging this process can be, but every skill is built by practice, and this is no exception. Start practicing today and watch your muscle for self-love grow stronger. I have plenty of reasons to believe that you'll find it a lot easier to reach your goals. Do you feel clear that there are changes you want to make in your life to improve your health? If so, I invite you to carefully consider these questions. Do you feel angry with yourself when you don't achieve a goal? If this describes you, please consider carefully how you might change this pattern. Making lifestyle changes is challenging. Despite what marketing campaigns tell you, change is not linear and setbacks are inevitable. When you begin to make changes, your self-criticism will have many opportunities to take over. If you let it, it will undermine your motivation to try new things. Positive change wants a positive feedback loop. Tell yourself you are amazing for getting as far as you've gotten and let yourself know you believe you can and will get right back at it. Are you a good starter? There is a lot of attention on sticking with lifestyle changes, and I can agree that endurance helps, but life is full of setbacks. We all get the flu, throw out our knees, take trips out of town, have stressful weeks, and just get plain tired sometimes. Flexing when life throws you a curve is a good thing, not a lack of willpower. This is why starting again is at least as important as sticking with it. When you hit a roadblock, instead of telling yourself, I'm bad at sticking with things, try telling yourself instead, I'm good at taking care of myself and I'm great at pivoting. I'm restarting now. Are you a kind coach? If you can be encouraging to friends who are taking risks and braving new challenges, you have the skills you will need to lovingly coach yourself. But here's the catch. Can you turn your own approval onto yourself? You will need to love yourself if you want change to happen. Please be a loving coach and cheerleader for yourself. You deserve it. Try sitting down with a journal and brainstorming kind, warm, supportive things you can tell yourself to encourage progress and be an effective cheerleader. Think about your relationship with your body during the changing seasons of life. We already talked a little bit about it. Childhood, right? We just want to get up. We want those legs to work. We want to run. 
We want to be like the big kids. We want to keep up with our older brothers and sisters. We just want some independence. That's what we want our body to do. Take us far away from any of the people trying to tell us what to do. What about adolescence? I think about boys wanting their voice to get deeper or them to get taller so they look older than they are. And what about girls? They want curves so they don't look like boys. And they want to just sort of change their relationship with those around them. Adolescents are just trying to find out who they are. What about early adulthood? Boy, could do a little abuse on the body there, but we're trying to get somewhere. We're trying to be heard. We're trying to be seen. And in our 20s and 30s, we might be starting families. We might be traveling. We could really use our body there to get us up in the morning and get us going and give us that extra motivation to reach our goals. Middle age. What about middle age? Boy, things are starting to slow down just a little bit. We're starting to see and feel the effects of aging. Little aches and pains, some crow's feet, you know, having trouble bending over and maybe doing things that we used to do in our 20s and 30s. Maybe we're chasing around grandchildren, trying to keep up with them, thinking, boy, why did we waste so much time in our youth, not doing things that we can now take for granted, for sure. What about senior citizen? You know, health becomes our concern. We want longevity. We might be starting to rethink diet, maybe a little late, you know, wish we could have done that early. Maybe we have some regret for not taking better care of our bodies. We just want to stay upright. We want to keep walking. We want to be independent again. Boy, your body has played a vital role in your life. It's gotten you from A to Z and helped you achieve some pretty incredible things. Let's give it a hand. Well done, friends. How do you reward your partner? How well are you taking care of your buddy? And what can you do today to make a shift? Alexa from The Living Well shares her story on how to heal, shifting your perspective on health. Alexa said, healing wasn't a part of my plan. My goal in nutrition was to prevent anything that would require healing by preventing disease and injury. I believed I could control myself from needing to heal by living healthy forever, not knowing that health is a daily healing, not the prevention of it. When I crashed, I was forced into healing. The only other option was to live stuck in my illness. Before getting sick, I had spent so much time trying to prevent health problems by securing the arrival at a destination I thought would bring me permanent health that I completely misunderstood what it meant to live healthy. Health is not the absence of disease or injury, although limiting this idea. It's not the prevention of a place that requires healing. Health is learning how to heal. It is daily action that supports healing. And when you learn to heal and practice healing, your body will become far healthier. But getting there means changing your view of what healing means. It's changing your view of what health means. Moving away from the external chase and into the internal healing by building a new story of health that leans into daily healing. 
The body has single-handedly taken over the spotlight of healing. It's become the scapegoat for our problems, wishes, and desires. It's even become the fulfillment of human desire, changing how we think we'll be loved, seen, and known. Of course, the body matters, but when we put as much emphasis on the body, we misunderstand how our biology works and why it works. Your body is never acting alone. It works in harmony with your mind and soul. They may be different, even separate, but they're connected. Within this connection, your body, mind, and soul constantly communicates. What communication each sends determines how they function. Energy or emotion is the vehicle running through all three. Think of yourself as a light bulb. How that bulb glows or the light portrayed is determined based on the energy flowing through the three specific wires that work together to illuminate the bulb, the ground or body, neutral, mind, and power, soul. If any wires are disconnected or not working correctly, the energy can't flow and the bulb dims. And it's not because the energy isn't there, it is. It's because the wires are disconnected or out of place, preventing the energy from flowing. You have the energy you need. Healing requires you to open up the flow, which means supporting the movement of energy within the mind, body, and soul. It's learning how to mobilize energy, and learning this can change everything about your life. The common approach to health has been to healthify your body, leaving you neglecting your mind and soul for how you look. But your body is just reacting to the internal workings of your whole. Getting healthy without all three creates a temporary substitution if you consider it one for all. Ironically, trying to healthify your body while neglecting your mind and soul has left you with only one option. Look for solutions from outside sources. Instead of looking within or relying on any form of self-awareness, the world has taught you to neglect your needs or what your body is trying to say to follow an external plan or system. No matter how well-researched these plans are, and most have great research, it's hard to compute why the majority never work. Because, as research proves, they should. But they don't because they leave you neglecting your body for an external plan. In the process, you channel all of your energy into an outside source and away from what is required to heal your body. Essentially, you've disconnected the wires while still expecting it to glow. If you pay attention, you'll realize that no matter how much energy you shift to this external focus, you still have an internal war raging on. We have separated this war from a biological problem, turning it into a psychological one. Not only are your hormones messed up and your weight a problem, but you also have a problem with your cravings, willpower, and discipline, or lack thereof. To simplify things, we've separated one problem into two that feel easier to control. 
You struggle with problems inside your body, and now your mind is a problem. This forces you to double the work. Not only do you have to figure out how to get healthy, but you also have to worry about thinking healthy. No wonder people are overwhelmed and confused. Of course, your mind and body are separate, but they're interconnected. One depends on the other. The component linking them all together is energy or emotion. Energy in motion. Energy is the communication that runs throughout your whole, determining how you feel and what you experience. But understanding energy means understanding how you feel. And this is the real problem. Because people don't like to feel emotions, especially uncomfortable ones, and you can't feel the good emotions without the hard ones, this creates the predicament we find most people living in, working to ignore, suppress, or escape emotion. Arguably, this is why we become so fixated on finding external things to heal us, because we really don't want to do the work that it takes to heal. We don't want to confront the deepest parts of ourselves and feel the things that will help us feel everything. We especially won't if our body feels unsafe and threatened. Preventing and avoiding pain is one of your deepest survival responses, one that becomes much more active the more unsafe you feel. This means you really won't be able to do the work until you can regain a sense of internal safety. In preventing pain, your body goes to work to subconsciously put into place traps to avoid pain. During trauma or pain, these are essential to your survival. But what once helped you survive can become incredibly dysfunctional long-term, leaving you running for something that no longer exists. Ultimately, this prevents you from living. Understanding and even appreciating these traps can help you become aware of what you're still doing, keeping you stuck in a place you want to escape. Here are some common traps. Disassociation or self-abandonment, self-sabotage, perfectionism, confusion, analysis paralysis, hyper-independence, I can do it all, overworking. The purpose of these may have once been for survival, but it can become the thing preventing you from succeeding. In a way, that was their purpose, to help you stay alive, not thrive. On the flip side, when the energy and emotion fight to come out, and they will, you'll have to face it. That doesn't mean you'll have to relive it. Rarely you do, nor should you. But you'll be faced with the discomfort and even the pain. When you don't have the tools to find safety within the pain, you'll put into place the Band-Aid, leaving you to mask it with medicators. Medicators numb, mask, or shove the emotions back inside so you can maintain the status quo. Some common medicators include food, addictions, drug, work, porn, alcohol, etc., busyness, denial, self-denial. At one time, medicators and traps may have protected you and served a purpose, but often they are why you are stuck repeating old patterns and cycles. Healing is scary and overwhelming, 
but it changes the course of your life because it removes these medications and traps from being a necessity. But getting there means moving deeper, reconnecting to your whole, and doing the work to heal. The best place to start is where you currently are. It's easy to neglect your current story chasing a better one. But the only way to live a better story is to shift the current one, requiring you to understand your current story. Martha said, One of the most powerful examples of my current story happened with my counselor during a therapy session. She showed me a picture of an infinity loop. The infinity loop represents my life. Every decision, action, and outcome flows together, creating the story of my life. But there is generally one thing all decisions flow around. What is inside the infinity loop? Your life, decisions, and actions flow around and out of something. A belief, a trauma, a situation, and that situation, no matter how deep you've buried it, helps you determine every decision and action you take. Understanding what's inside your infinity loop and replacing it with something better changes your decisions, actions, and outcomes. Shifting your body image from vanity to health involves changing perspective and priorities. So here are some strategies to help you make this shift. Number one, focus on functionality. Instead of obsessing over your body looks, focus on what it can do. Appreciate your body for its strength, agility, and resilience. We've gotten here. Let's throw a party. Number two, set health goals. Instead of setting goals based on appearance, like losing weight or achieving a certain body shape, set goals that prioritize your health and well-being, like improving cardiovascular fitness or increasing flexibility. Number three, practice mindfulness. Be present in your body and listen to its cues. Pay attention to how different foods, activities, and behaviors make you feel and make choices that support your overall health and vitality. Number four, diversify your self-worth. Cultivate a sense of self-worth that is not solely based on your appearance. Recognize and celebrate your talents, skills, and qualities that have nothing to do with how you look. Number five, Challenge societal norms. Recognize that societal beauty standards are often unrealistic and unattainable, and in fact, untrue. Challenge these norms and redefine beauty based on diversity, inclusivity, and individuality. Number six, practice self-compassion. Be kind to yourself and treat yourself with the same care and compassion that you would a loved one. Acknowledge that your worth is not determined by your appearance. Number seven, seek support. Surround yourself with people who support and uplift you. Seek out communities or groups that promote body positivity and self-acceptance. And number eight, seek professional help. If you struggle to shift your body image or it negatively impacts your mental health, Consider seeking support from a therapist or counselor who can help you work through these issues.
to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, focus on your health and well-being rather than your appearance to help cultivate a more positive and sustainable body image that will be rooted in self-care and self-compassion. By doing this, you will build a loving partnership grounded in mutual respect and acceptance. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone through until the path was clear. That's when I found you. How I wound up here.